Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Merry Christmas. How are we doing, Centerpoint? It's not bad. My name is Bryant, lead pastor here. So glad you're with us in the house, joining us online, uh, unfiltered radio, wherever you're watching, listening. Um, One of the things I think is true maybe the last two years more than any other time, or maybe it's just me, but I think we're not only just looking forward to Christmas, we're maybe looking forward to the new year more than ever before. And it's not that everything is off the rails or everything is bad, but just enough to where you're constantly, it seems like, asking the question, like, why? Why has this happened? Why has that happened? Why is it happening all at once? And maybe for you, it's not like a national or global thing. It's really personal. Because you've walked through some stuff that maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time has you asking questions about purpose and why am I walking through this and what's the point of it all. And here's the thing that's really kind of crazy that puts all of us on the same page regardless of what you think about God. And there's a lot of people that are a part of our church and watch and listen that you're trying to figure this thing out, agnostic, atheist, whatever. So we built this with you in mind in a lot of ways. So wherever you're at, here's what's true of all of us. There is an insatiable desire in us to want to create purpose out of random stuff. Like especially negative events that don't seem to have any purpose. To quote Richard Dawkins for a second, which is interesting on Christmas Eve, Richard Dawkins said, Some people are going to get hurt. Some people are going to get lucky. You're not going to find any rhyme or reason in it. No justice, no design, no evil, no good, just pitiless indifference. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Right? Because like that's one approach of what's the big why behind every what? Well, there just is none. And yet... There's something in us, or most of us, I think it's all of us, where you still try to find good and bad. You still try to find purpose in chaos. You still try to find some kind of silver lining in the randomness of it all. Now, here's the other side that's really interesting, though, is we never are obsessed with finding that in goodness or good things or happiness. Like, nobody sits around to go, like, I just need to find the purpose for why I didn't lose my job and they did. Like, why in the world did my parents not get a divorce? Why are my kids healthy? I just need to find purpose behind all of that. Like, you've never done that. We, we don't ever do that because we just expect that. Like, we expect that that should be the normal thing, that things should go well, things should go good. And honestly, when they are, that's all the purpose we need. Like, we're good. We're, we're never on this insatiable search for meaning to our happiness. We just enjoy it. And there's something hypocritical in that, but it's just human nature and it's in all of us. And when the exceptions hit or the interruptions hit or that thing that you can't explain hits, immediately our response is like, why God? And how does this fit in? And is there anything beyond like what I see in the moment? And I think, and I would argue, maybe you wouldn't agree, that's actually the image of God in you. Like there's something in you that wants to find purpose. There's something in you that wants to connect the dots. 
The author of Ecclesiastes said it this way. He was a brilliant writer, left a lot of incredible wisdom. He didn't follow any, any of it, but he wrote this and it was pretty amazing. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said, God's made everything beautiful in its time. And he has set eternity in the human heart, which just means that thing inside of us that says, there's got to be more. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Because I think we long for a meta-narrative. We long for something that's bigger than us. And I think we long for a meta-narrative because there is one. It was a theologian and author, C.S. Lewis, that said this, that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, meaning the next raise, the next promotion, they get to the degree, I finally run down what I've been pursuing and it doesn't seem to change anything. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We almost can't help but assume there's gotta be more. We almost can't help but ask why when everything hits the fan and it all seemingly is flying out of control. In fact, we even have cultural language around us. Again, regardless of what you believe about God, something happens, you're like, everything happens for a reason. I have no idea what it is. And I don't even know if there's a God, but I just believe that there's gotta be something. Or we'll say things like, I don't believe in coincidence. Or I guess it was meant to be, or I guess her time had come. Because there's just something in us that wants to make sense out of the meaninglessness. In fact, for some of you, isn't this true? It's the thing that led you back to God. Because something went out of control and for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, you started to look up and consider God and and you started asking the big questions of why, but then you went a step further and started to ask, but why do I even care? (laughs) Like, why am I even trying to find purpose? Like, where does that come from? Why am I asking any of these questions? And that was the catalyst to consider God or maybe begin a relationship with God. That was the journey that led you there. But then on the flip side, For a lot of us, or at least some of us, like that was the thing that caused us to walk because we never went looking for purpose and good or happiness because nobody does that. But when things went out of control, when things didn't get better, when the diagnosis didn't come back and it wasn't what we want and they didn't recover, our faith didn't recover either. And so at some point along the way, there was just this point that you got to because none of the dots connected where you just said, "I, I just don't know if I believe any of this anymore. And so what I wanna tell you and talk to you about for just a couple minutes is that thing inside of you that resists the meaninglessness and that wants some kind of connection to dots, you shouldn't ignore that. And regardless of what you believe, that thing that can't imagine that there is no purpose. So I just want you to imagine with me for a couple minutes, what if God has some kind of purpose, some kind of divine destiny and divine will? What if you're not just the byproduct of evolution? What if God has entered into time and space and done something? And what if every once in a while, God has to interrupt our lives in order to bring about his purpose and his will? And what if every once in a while, God has to interrupt all of our assumptions about God and what we think God should do? And what if God interrupted the natural order as we know it in order to make himself known and to connect some of the dots that otherwise we would never be able to connect? Like what if there is something more? Like the the interesting thing is first century Judeans and Galileans believe that's exactly what God did that God entered through Jesus onto planet earth and that longing in us that wants to connect the dots in our lives, that longing should not be ignored because there actually is a greater story. There is a meta narrative and we're not the central players in that. 
and that every once in a while, the author's purpose of the story runs counter to everything we, we want and everything that we expect. And at Christmas, it's a reminder that we celebrate the author entering his own story and creating the most epic and divine interruption that we could ever imagine. But Christmas is also a reminder of this, and I think this is really important. It's a reminder that God's gonna interrupt your life sometimes. God's gonna interrupt our lives sometimes in ways that are unexpected, unanticipated, and not welcomed. And this is so important because maybe you didn't grow up in this kind of church background. It's okay to question It's okay to ask why. It's okay to wonder how all of it fits in. And in fact, I would make this argument. That's not an evidence of the lack of faith. That's actually an evidence of the fact of faith. And there's a difference between questioning God and asking God a question. And so the author of Luke creatively, it was just titled Luke, because Luke wrote it, sits down, he interviews all of these eyewitnesses and he doesn't start with some epic in a land far, far away. In fact, he starts recognizing that a lot of you are not going to believe it. So right from the beginning, he helps try to convince you, I'm not making any of this up. And you're so familiar with the narrative, but here's what Luke writes, that many have undertaken to draw up an account of what has been fulfilled among us. Meaning I'm not the only one that believes this, I'm not the only one who's investigated this. I'm not the only one holding to it. And with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, who was a wealthy man in the first century who knew about the story, but didn't know the full story. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. And then Luke begins with words that you're probably really familiar with, even if you didn't grow up around the church, that in the sixth month, verse 26 of Elizabeth's pregnancy, probably Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And you know the story, and you know how it ends, and you know how it's been airbrushed and crammed into children's storybooks. But at this moment, this is just another a random arranged marriage. And this is about to be an interruption that's gonna disrupt everything. And the virgin's name was Mary. And you already knew that. And it's crazy that you already knew that. Because at this moment in history, before you fast forward to the end, Mary, we don't know a lot about her, but we just know she's going to marry Joseph and she's going to be another nameless, faceless person. She'll never be recorded in the annals of history. She'll never be remembered. And yet this is the moment where God begins to write the next chapter in his redemptive story for all of planet earth. And this is really important. And everyone that he selects to be a part of that, including Mary, their lives are gonna be disrupted and their lives are going to have chaos entered into them in ways that they could never imagine. And they weren't anticipating it, they weren't asking for it and they didn't even want it. And the angel says in verse 29 to her, Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. And she's like, I'm 14, how have I had time to be highly favored by God? The Lord's with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be because in this moment, she doesn't know, is this good news? Is it bad news? Should I be terrified? If an angel shows up, probably. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. In essence, Mary, I've selected you for a purpose and I'm about to invite you into my story. 
And I know it's not what you want. And I know it's not what you would have chosen. And I know it's not gonna be easy. But I'm choosing you to do something that's bigger than you. And then verse 31 it basically tells us what will happen. You will, verse 31, conceive and you'll give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. But in this moment, before you get to the end too quick, Mary's like, are you sure? Are you sure? A kingdom a king? There had not been an independent Jewish kingdom for 500 years. Like, how is that going to take place? And honestly, Mary's not that concerned about Israel's fate and destiny. She's concerned about her own. And again, I know that we never consider this and we love to write songs about it, but in this moment, Mary doesn't have a lot of the emotions that we have in retrospect. In this moment, Mary's thinking, I don't know if I want any of this because this is nothing but chaos. This is nothing but disruption. This is nothing but interruption. And despite how we might see it in retrospect, in this moment, she is being handed dysfunction that she did not ask for. And she's thinking, are you sure? And by the way, and I love this because it's so real. Mary's like, okay, I'm not questioning you, God, but I have a question. Just all due respect, how's this gonna happen? How's this gonna take place? Because I'm just gonna say it, I'm a virgin. And I don't know, all of it seems far-fetched and I don't know how this works out, any purpose, and I don't really understand any of it. But verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit, Mary, is gonna come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And again, she's thinking, okay, but are you, are you sure? Are you sure I'm highly favored? Are you sure I shouldn't be terrified? Because I feel like I should. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And it sounded so definite. And it didn't feel like Mary had any choice in the matter. And the angel finished in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then I love this, verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. If God said it, then God's gonna do it. I actually love the literal Greek translation of this better because it's like Yoda speak, where it says, for not impossible with God is anything. And Mary's like, maybe, but my life just got a lot more complicated. And I don't know how I'm gonna explain this and I don't know how I'm gonna move forward and I certainly would have, wouldn't have chosen any of this. And in this moment, it's really hard to believe that I'm highly favored because this generally is not what highly favored looks like. And you know the story, right? God would have his way. God would do what God said he was gonna do. But Mary, before we rush to the end of the story, she for months would deal with the, ostracizing behavior and the rumors and the whispers and trying to explain with no plausible explanation. And after months and months of that, a several, a month or two before the baby is to be born, God would whisper into the ear of the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus would issue a decree that would align all of the events just as they had been predicted hundreds of years before. And he issues this decree of a Roman census that would send Joseph all the way back to Bethlehem Ephrata, which is also the place that had been predicted 
where the Messiah would be born. And we don't know what the conversation was and there's no transcript of it, but somewhere along the way, it's obvious that Mary comes to Joseph and says, listen, I get that you have to go back there. There's no way I'm delivering this baby alone. So I get whatever your objections, it's a donkey ride and I'm fragile and there possibility of a miscarriage and it's a long hike and all of that, but I'm coming with you. You're not leaving me here. And so Mary, highly favored of God, God has a purpose, God has a will, God has a special plan, hops on a donkey. That's a hundred mile flight. That's a lot longer if you're on foot or you're riding a donkey. And she begins to trek back. And come on, just to enter into the reality for a second, I have to, be, I have to imagine about this point, Mary's like, hey, where's that angel at? And God, all due respect, I, I'm thankful and I, like, I, I take you at face value and the fact that I'm highly favored. But at this point in the journey, I'd rather you keep your favor. I'm not sure I want it because ever since I've been decreed highly favored, I, I've ended up with a dysfunctional pregnancy with no explanation. And now I'm riding a donkey back to Bethlehem. And again, you know the story. They finally make it back to Bethlehem known as the city of David. And she gives birth to, in their first century language, Joshua or Jesus. And things are calm for like a minute. And then everything moves from uncomfortable to unsafe because Herod in a jealous rage hears about the rumors of this future Jewish king being born. And he goes, Herod, and decides, hey, this future Jewish king, I'm not sure if it's legit or not, but I'm gonna make sure that this baby boy does not survive. And here's Mary. God has a purpose, God has a will, God has a special plan, favored of God. They have to load up, head toward Egypt, 200 miles further away from their home, from anybody that they know, from their family, from any form of normalcy, in anything that they had anticipated, hoped, or expected for their life. And then Mary gets word of the most unimaginable news possible because he hears the fact that Herod has sent his stormtroopers into Bethlehem to decree a slaughter of every baby boy two years old and younger in order to make sure that this little Jewish king doesn't survive. And we skip past this part and we never talk about it. But Mary would deal with survivor's remorse and guilt for the rest of her life. And she would be haunted with the memories and the reminders that it was the news of her son's birth that would incite Herod's rage that would ultimately end up with the seemingly needless slaughter of a bunch of toddlers in Bethlehem. And she would never go back to the site of that again. And at that point, she was asking and thinking the same things that you ask in the random, pointless, I can't connect the dots moments of your life of God. How could any of this work to some greater purpose? Like, how could you possibly use any of this to serve something beyond what I'm seeing? How could any of this make sense? How could any of this lead to anything greater? And come on, I'm so glad that you let Joseph and I know, but what about all the other innocent, unsuspecting parents? They lost their little boys because they had no idea. What's the purpose in that? What's the, where are the dots in that? How could any of that be going anywhere good? There's no way to make sense of any of it. 
And come on, think about it. Think about where Mary is in that moment, favored of God. God has a plan. God has a destiny for your life. Later on, Jesus would grow up and we find out very little, but we know that Mary tried to raise Jesus as normally as she could. And then as Jesus got to about 30 years old, he began his public ministry. And what I find fascinating is the entire public ministry, Mary, along with Jesus' brothers, are completely confused by Jesus and completely um, nervous about all of his public behavior. In fact, there's this really famous story where Jesus' brothers and Mary try to save Jesus from himself publicly because they're like, listen, this is not going anywhere good. You are not winning friends. You're not influencing people. The politicians don't like you. The religious leaders don't like you. You have got to stop. And Mary knew that if Jesus continued his public behavior the way he was continuing his public behavior, it would not go well for her son. Turn rabbi, turn prophet. And some whispered Messiah. And then, Miss Highly Favored of God, God has a plan, his purpose, there's a point. Miss Highly Favored of God got the news that her son had been arrested, which is what she had feared, and beaten, and taken to Pilate and that the religious leaders were clamoring for his execution. And then she would stand in the street and she would watch her son carry a Roman cross that had been perfected via Roman crucifixion to the place where they killed Roman enemies. And then she would stand in the crowd and she would watch her son die. She would watch her firstborn son die. And she asked all of the same questions that we would ask. What in the world is this gonna serve? And what kind of purpose can come out of that? And how can you connect any of these dots? None of this makes any sense. And think about Mary emotionally in that moment. She watches the best possible person in all of humanity die the worst possible death. And it was her son. And so if you're walking through a season, a circumstance, faced with something that is unexplainable and it is pointless and it seemingly is purposeless and you can't connect any of the dots and there's no way you can envision where this is going that will lead to anything good, you're right where Mary was in this moment. Because come on, don't, don't go to the end of the story yet. At this moment, she is just another heartbroken Roman or Greek or Jewish mom in the first century who has lost her son and she will spend the, the rest of her years mourning the death of her son needlessly. But then in a turn of events that we rarely enjoy, because what we experience through this narrative maybe happens over three decades or over three years and for some of us it never happens. But in a turn of events that we rarely enjoy, but that were documented to give us hope in two and a half days as we record time, Mary would go from watching her son crucified in the most unimaginable way to embracing her resurrected son. And in that moment, she would know without a doubt that he was exactly who the angels foretold. He was the savior of the world. 
and in a narrative that was compressed in such a way to give us hope. It's so interesting and so comforting because we don't get any of this mostly in our lives, but in a narrative that is compressed and within several days, this event, these circumstances that made absolutely no sense within two and a half days, they made almost perfect sense. And it turns out that Mary was in fact highly favored. And as it turns out that God was working purpose through every bit of the circumstances. And it turns out that there was orchestration in the chaos. And it turns out that God was present and with them the entire time. And the hope and the message of Christmas is if, if you ever decide to follow Jesus, and if Jesus can be trusted, you are highly favored. That God's seeming silence is not his absence. And God's seeming inactivity is not an indication of his apathy. And your inability to discover the reason why or the purpose does not mean that God does not have a purpose. And at Christmas, the reminder is that every once in a while, as uncomfortable as this is for everybody involved, God will interrupt our stories. And God will interrupt what we had anticipated and hoped and expected for the future. Mary was not the first. Mary would not be the last. Jesus would show up to Jesus' closest disciples. And he would say to them, I know you're fishermen, you're uneducated, you have no platform, you have no standing, you have no influence, but I'm going to interrupt your story. You're going to leave the family business and you guys are going to help take this message beyond the chaos and the persecution of the first century so that 2,000 years later, people will still be talking about it. And then he shows up to a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who is an enemy of Christianity, trying to stomp out the way. And then he says to Saul, you're actually going to become one of my followers, changes his name to Paul. And Paul becomes the greatest church planner in all of history. He's invited into the story and literally takes the message to the world. And other men and women that some we know about, some we don't, but God intervened, interrupted their circumstances in ways they would never choose, never want, never anticipate in order to move forward his divine redemptive story for all of humanity. And then this is the other thing that Christmas reminds us of that is so important because it might be right where you're at. Perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is faith that moves us to trust God when God doesn't seem to be moving or when God's not moving the way that we expected or the way that we anticipated. So here's the hope. If you're praying to a God that hasn't come through the way that you wanted, if you're praying to a God still that hasn't done anything according to what you expected, if you're still praying to a God who's disappointed you, has interrupted the plans of your life, here's the hope. You are not alone. You are in good company. Welcome to the uncomfortable journey of following Jesus. It was Paul that said this when he wrote to the Ephesians in very theological terms, when he said, in him, we are chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. 
basically Paul going, I have been invited to be at the epicenter of what God is doing in the world and you have been invited to play a part as well. But it was Mary who put it in much more personal terms when she whispered these words. I am the Lord's servant. When the angel shows up with news that she can't really decipher and she would have never, ever welcomed. I'm the Lord's servant. This is not what I planned. This is not what I anticipated. This is not what I saw for my future as a wife and mother. But I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, even though it disrupts and interrupts everything. You were created. You just were. You were created to look for purpose in the disappointment and for some kind of dots to connect in the randomness. And sometimes we find it immediately. And sometimes we find it eventually. And then sometimes we, we don't find it at all. And Christmas is a reminder. The world is not as random as you think. And there is a divine story and a divine meta narrative, and we have been invited to play a part. And so if you are walking through a story and a circumstance and an event, and it is so easy to ask God, where are you? And God, what are you doing? And God, what is your purpose? And how does any of this connect? And you're not getting any answers back. You are in good company. This is maybe more important. There is nothing wrong with your faith. It was Mary, the teenage girl with little information who modeled the way forward. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you've said. Christmas is a reminder that your faith is not in vain. And your faith is not in vain. Hear me real quick as I close this to conclusion because for some of you, this is not what you were taught. This is not what you grew up with. This is not your religious background. It's why you walked away because it just seemed too intellectually dishonest because a lot of the invitation was you just need to have faith in faith. You just need to believe more. You just need to muster up more. That was never the invitation of Jesus. Your faith is not in vain because your faith is in a resurrected savior. And the message of Christmas in its totality is that God sent Jesus to planet earth and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died the death that we should have died for all of humanity. And then three days later, he did something that could be anchored to history with, I believe, overwhelming evidence so that we could know he walked out of a grave alive as a resurrected savior. And in that moment, it validated everything that he said about his life. And that is, if you would stop trying to earn your way to God and trust what Jesus has done on your behalf, there really is forgiveness that's available to you. There really is grace that cannot be exhausted by your sin and past. There really is a purpose. There really is a better day ahead. And one day God will wipe away every tear and God will wipe away every injustice and God will right every wrong and you will stand face to face with your resurrected savior because of your faith and trust in him. And never did he ask you, I just want you to muster up enough faith. Instead, he came to planet earth, 
did something in history, anchored it in history, and now asks you, I want you to believe in what I've done on your behalf. And if you place your faith and trust in me, you become a son and a daughter of God. And it means for you, even in the two decades of randomness where God has not answered your prayer, that Emmanuel, God is with you. Because your hope and our hope is not in perfect circumstances. Our hope is in a perfect savior. Would you stand with me all over the house? And if you're online somewhere, you're clicking in multiple browsers, dial it down to one. I'd love to have you in this moment. If you're listening in a prison cell right now, if you're driving somewhere, wherever that moment is that seems really random, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, if you can do that. For some of you, if you're new to kind of a religious environment or faith or church, even that can be weird, but just out of respect for those who are around you, this may not mean anything to you, but it means something to some people around you. I just wanna give some an opportunity where you would just go, this is the moment where I just believe it's true. And that's not because of good communication or preaching. We believe that's actually the, the spirit of God in you. And you came here tonight and in 25 minutes, none of your circumstances changed and you didn't maybe get a single question answered. And yet there's something in all of it where you would just go, I, it, I believe it's true. I believe that God has done something on my behalf through Jesus. And so I just wanna lead you in this prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves you. There's no magic words or magic mantra. It's simply your transfer of faith and trust. And you can do this in your own heart and mind. But for some of you, I just wanna lead you. And so right now, if this is you, if this is your moment, I'd love for you to pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. And I believe that you died the death I should have died on the cross. And I believe that three days later, you rose again. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me and to save me. One more time, if this is your moment. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross from my sin. I believe three days later you rose again. And right now I'm not trusting me any longer, but I'm trusting you to save me and to forgive me. And with nobody looking around, if this was your moment, would you just lift up your hand really high? There's an usher that wants to put a card in your hand. You don't have to do anything with it, but if you choose to and take it to one of those tents, we'd love to give you more information about this new journey. So with nobody looking around, don't be shy. All weekend long, we've had people placing their faith and trust for the first time making this, I believe the greatest Christmas ever. So that's you in this moment. Just lift up your hand really high to go. This was the moment that I placed my faith and my trust in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to take your candles and light them. And Jesus, in this moment, it's you that we celebrate, light coming into darkness. And I acknowledge those that are walking through something right now and there is no explanation. There is no answer to the questions, but I pray that maybe tonight would be a reminder that even when we cannot connect it and even when we don't see it, you are working and you are there. And the reminder that light came into darkness was not a one-time thing. It means that one day light is going to extinguish the darkness forever. And one day you will fulfill every promise. And one day we will be whole and perfect and right. 
and you will sit on your throne as the ruling and reigning king. And it's in this moment that we celebrate and we remember that. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.